Welcome to Highlighted, the All Sports Culture Podcast. I'm Sully. We got Kurt. And we also have our very first guest on today. He's a former UCLA player and Pepperdine University assistant coach and current basketball analyst for ESPN. He's covered college, NBA, MLB, and we're very excited to have him on. Sean Farnham, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. Good to have you on. So uh, we're just going to get right into it, starting with your UCLA playing career. Read a lot about you, obviously, having you on, did my research, and I was interested to see that you had some offers from some other places, but you chose UCLA. Obviously, they were a great, great team, winning over like 24 games every time you were there. Um, what was the what went into the decision choosing UCLA over university? Maybe you would have got a little bit more playing time. Yeah, I think you know you have to also uh, at times you you have to understand where you are as a player and who you are as a player. And for me, I, I when I was making the decision to go to, to college, uh, my recruitment to UCLA was really different because they. They really, because they lost to Princeton uh, in the 1996 NCAA tournament, they showed up to the California State Basketball Championships to recruit a bunch of guys that, that I was playing against. I had a great game. Um, and so they, they started recruiting me after that. And, and so did a lot of other schools because it was a different era. I mean, there was no Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, highlight videos, YouTube, any of that. There, none of that was going on. And so unless you were seen you you really kind of was more difficult to be discovered. And uh, so I got about 35 scholarship offers after that game. UCLA uh, came into the mix on that same fold. And at the end of the day, I knew that I wasn't going to be an NBA basketball player. I wanted to have a chance to win a national championship. I wanted to participate in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and I wanted to get a great education. And UCLA brought all those things together for me. Uh, and then and then allowed me to have a great platform, obviously, that has uh, given me the room to, to grow professionally uh, in, in a lot of different areas, whether it was coaching originally or or then into the broadcast world. Uh, but that that's kind of how it came in. And, and I think there's a lot of kids that obviously would have taken better opportunities to play. And there were certainly chances and places that were telling me, hey, look, you come here, uh, you get the number you want. Uh, you're going to have an opportunity to start right away. And and. To me, I, I always had a bigger picture kind of perspective, and, and I knew that, that UCLA was going to be the right place for me, and it was. Yeah, that's a great answer. I mean, a lot of people don't really think about the future that much. They're all just uh, really just want to play in the moment. But, um, yeah, if, if, you, if you don't think you're going to be an NBA player, that's, that's UCLA was definitely a great spot for you. Um, who were some of your favorite teammates on the UCLA team? Oh, I had a bunch of them. I mean, I, I, was, I was really fortunate. I'm Bob Myers, uh, the general manager of the Golden State Warriors, was my uh, host on my recruiting trip. I uh, always had a ton of respect for him. Uh, Earl Watson, I think just a tremendous leader uh, and a person that I just I, – I really was in sync with a lot uh, when we were there. Uh, Todd Ramazar, who's an NBA agent right now, he works with Pascal Siakam. Um, he was my roommate for three years and, and the best man of my wedding. Uh, they, there were so many guys that you look at, um, and, and there was others that, by the way, that you know, like, like that you didn't get along with, you know, that that, but you learn to to really respect. And I think there was a lot of a lot of times that there's differences in where, and this is the great thing about sports, right? Is no matter where you're from, backgrounds and stories are so completely different. Uh, the merging together and, and building towards a cohesive team, I, I think, is, is, is an evolutionary process. Um, and, and our team that we had there, I mean, you look back at some of those rosters that we had, 
Capono's another guy I got along with really, really well. He was a freshman my senior year. Um, but uh, Jerome Moiso, Dan, Dan Gadzurich, or Gadzurik when he was in college, um, <laughs> Matt Barnes, uh, Baron Davis, Earl Watson. I mean, these are guys that didn't just make the NBA, but, you know, Jerome, you know, struggled a little bit in the NBA, but he was still a lottery pick by the Celtics. Uh, some of these guys have won championships in the league. And they went on and had tremendous careers and so much admiration for their personal growth and development. A guy like Rico Hines, who's become one of the best uh, skill development coaches uh, for NBA players and, and brought back the runs uh, during the summer at UCLA uh, up in the men's gym, which were iconic runs when I was playing there. Uh, so it's, it's really nice to see so many of my teammates having great success around the sport of basketball, still being tied to it even to this day. Yeah, wow. That, that, I didn't realize how team how stacked that team was. Baron Davis, Earl Watson. That's a good squad right there. It must yeah, have been I mean, fun to play with. That, they, say, they say point guards are the ones that are important to winning national championships. Like, I'm like, dang, how did we not win with Baron and Earl? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But it, yeah, it was a tough. great run and great to be around those guys and get to see them uh, and their skill set every single day. And, and people forget Baron Davis, as explosive as he was in the NBA, uh, I saw him pre-ACL surgery. Because he tore his ACL originally in the NCAA tournament against Michigan uh, his mm-hmm. freshman year. And he was so explosive. There are things that he did at practice. Like when he was in the open floor and he was in transition, you were really like – you had to really be aware of where he was because if you weren't, he was going to catch you. And yeah. uh, he caught plenty of guys at, <laughs> at practice. But just an explosive and elite-level talent. Yeah, mm-hmm. and one thing I kind of just want to add on is, you know, with you going to UCLA, I think everyone's kind of – looking at the situation of, yeah, you're probably obviously not going to get the amount of playing time as if you would have gone to another college, but with kind of what you discussed, like you're meeting all these cool teammates, you're meeting so many guys. And I think that the connection you kind of have with everyone at that college kind of, you know, makes it so much better that you went there instead of any other college. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. And, and it's not even just those guys that I was playing with. You got to think about the, the pickup games inside the men's gym. Uh, that I, I referenced with, with what Rico's brought back. Well, when I was there, it was like really the pinnacle of those games. Um, my first pickup game that I ever played at UCLA, Kobe Bryant was my teammate. And oh, that's, we both graduated. Wow. wow. We, we graduated high school at the same time. And so we played a ton with Kobe, Shaq, Magic would still come up and play. Paul Pierce was there. <laughs> Chauncey Billups was there. I mean, so you're, you're playing pickup with these guys. So then later on in my career, when I started in the broadcasting world and I started traveling with the Lakers and doing some sideline stuff with the Lakers, the Clippers and whatnot, like, I knew already who I was because we used to play against each other. Yeah. Even in pickup games, you know, um, especially in those pickup games, because you always kind of remember who you, who you play with, who you play against in those games. Uh, one of my favorite stories from that was uh, the first time I ever got dunked on in my life was by Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal. Oh, that's not a bad person. I mean, to get yeah, dunked on by. that's, <laughs> So a great story is, so Ben Baker, who was an all-star with the Seattle Supersonics uh, back in the day, uh, is, is guarding Shaq. I'm Mr. Fundamental, right? I'm 6'6", 185 as a freshman at UCLA. And next thing I know, I, I'm in the help side position. Ben Baker goes to close out the corner to the shooter. I try to get around Shaq. Well, at 6'6", 185, I'm not getting around Shaq. I'm just <laughs> giving you like the Cliff Notes version here. Uh, and he takes one power dribble into the middle. His right elbow forearm hits me in the chest. I go sliding across the floor as he just rips this left-handed dunk, right? I go, oh, my God, I got dunked on. 
And Shaq paused as he took one step down the floor. He paused, looked back at me, and goes, don't sweat it, kid. I'm calling everybody. <laughs> and then he ran down the floor. And I thought to myself, yeah, you actually do. And, and I tell yeah. that story all the time when I speak at camps and clinics and whatnot um, to a lot of kids because it's like, you know what? Sometimes those things are going to happen. You're going to get dunked on. But they might end up being actually some of the best memories you have, as crazy as that sounds. And for me, I have no problem telling people I got dunked on by Shaquille O'Neal. Right. And, yeah, I mean, if you had to get dunked on by anyone, I think he's the best candidate for that situation. So. Yeah, that's a great like, story. Like, hey, right you should have blocked his shot. Like, I'd be like, wait, hold on. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> are you nuts? It's Shaq. Um, yeah, but yeah, those, those, those were great runs and great times. And, and, and that's, that's really still what UCLA offers. And a lot of people go, you know, what's it like going to UCLA? I, look, I, I've worked the summer camps. I always go back and usually work one summer camp for uh, basketball. And my son usually goes with me. And it's kind of like a father-son bonding thing that we do. And, and you go in the men's gym, and it's James Harden and Kevin Durant going one-on-one with each other. And you just see that all the time in Westwood. And those, those legendary runs is, and everything that's, that's gone on has, has now resurfaced, and those guys are back around campus even more so. And it's, as a player and as a competitor, the opportunity to be out on the same court with those guys is insane. Trust me. Insane. Yeah, that's no, awesome. I, I bet, yeah. Um, so how, how is your relationship with head coach, Steve Lavin? I th- am I saying that correctly? Steve Lavin? Yep. Yeah. No, so how is your, yeah. How's your relationship like, with him? I've got the utmost respect for Lav. He, you know, he was, uh, he took over the job when he was 32 years old and led us all the way to the elite eight my freshman year. Uh, I think that when people look back on how he scheduled, who he scheduled, I mean, we, we played in interconference games. Uh, during the conference season. So, like, we'd play USC on a Wednesday night, fly across the country and play Louisville on Saturday. Like, and we did that every single year. So, it, it was Louisville, it was Syracuse, it was Duke, it was North Carolina in my four years that we traveled to uh, when we played USC in the middle of conference play. Nobody's doing that nowadays. Nobody. Um, and uh, I just – I think that he did a tremendous job taking over a program when he was, A, extremely young, B, uh, under a situation where it was not expected. I mean, we're, we're less than, I think, like 10 days out from our first game that we were going to play that year in 1997. And Lav took over the team. And, you know, it, it's, it's a tough situation to be put into, but I thought that he did a very good job and he recruited at such a high level. I mean, I mentioned the roster that we had. Uh, we, we had a tremendous amount of talent. We had a tremendous amount of teams, and we had some amazing victories and some great win streaks. Uh, my senior year, knocking off number one Stanford on their home floor on senior night, which was Mark Madsen's final game at Stanford, uh, as Jerron Rush hit a buzzer beater over the top. I mean, it was just a lot of great memories and a lot of great experiences uh, that made everything so great. And, and he's, to tell you who Steve Lavin is, my father-in-law passed away a little bit over a year ago, or almost two years ago now, I guess. And we didn't put out an invitation. I mean, you're not inviting people to a funeral. You know, I mean, that's just not how it's done. And I got up to do the eulogy, and I look up in the back of the church, and Steve Lavin is sitting there. And he had seen it, seen uh, something online on my wife's account um, and made the decision that he was going to be there in support. And that's just who he is. He cares about you not only at the moment when you were playing for him, but he often talked about, like, a 50-year life plan. Like, what is the 50-year life plan that we can – we can interact and, 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 and be successful in life. And he lives by that. It's not something that he just said when he was 32 and coaching at UCLA. 
Uh, it was, it's something that he actually lives by, and he, he does a great job of keeping in touch with all of his former players, not just from UCLA, but also those players from St. John's uh, when, he, when he went on to coach there. Um, and look, we went to the NCAA tournament in all of my years at UCLA. We went to the Elite Eight my freshman year, Sweet 16 my sophomore year, uh, unfortunately a first round upset in my junior year, but then a, a Sweet 16 run in my senior year. Um, and that, if, if you tell people that, like a lot of times UCLA fans go, well, it's about national championships. And I get that and I respect that about Coach Wooden's program as much as anybody. Um, but it's hard. It's not easy in the NCAA tournament. And sometimes you run into a team that's just playing really well, or sometimes you run into a team where stylistically there's a matchup problem. And, and I think that those are, those are kind of those games that we lost were those kind of moments. In my freshman year, I, I really truly believe we would have won a national championship. Uh, but Jelani McCoy had a bruised sternum uh, and was, was unable to play. And we lost in the Elite Eight to uh, Bobby Jackson in Minnesota, uh, which was a really good team. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, they, they beat us. And we had a 10-point lead with about five minutes left to go when one of our players fouled out of the game. Uh, and that kind of left us a little shorthanded down the stretch. And, and then Bobby Jackson did what Bobby Jackson did when he was in college. Uh, and, and we took a loss. So I got a great rapport with Steve Lavin and, and so much respect for for him and, and the way that he cares about all of his former players and how he keeps in contact with all of us too. The random, the random text uh, when you don't know where he's at, but he texts you and goes, Hey, I just want to let you know I'm thinking of you today. That means a lot as a, as a person who, uh, you know, for four years uh, gave all that he could for him. Uh, and likewise, he gave it back to us. Right on, man. So I kind of want to transition now into your Pepperdine days. Cause I know, you did some assistant coaching there. I think it was for one year. So talk to us a little bit about that experience and how kind of being at Pepperdine for that one year was for you. Yeah, I got hired actually uh, before I even graduated UCLA. Um, so I was the youngest assistant coach in the country. And uh, actually was one of the guys on my team. I had played against the state championship. He redshirted his freshman year. And so I was coaching a guy uh, that was a freshman, uh, that was a senior, uh, went that I played against. So that was kind of unique and it was challenging. You know, there's no doubt it was challenging. Um, garnering the respect of the, the team was hard uh, based on the fact of, of my age. Um, and that some of these guys had literally played against me because we played Pepperdine the year before they had literally just played against me. So um, Jan Van Bredikoff was the head coach. He was an outstanding uh, coach. Uh, and I learned so much about the game of basketball that year, uh, probably more so than any other year that I've, I've been around the game. I thought he was just brilliant mind defensively we we were 24-9 I learned a lot about like back in the day like people don't understand that now everything's digital right like we're doing this over zoom and, and computers and phones and all this stuff back in the day when you you used to have to do video exchange so we would finish a game our manager would take out the VHS out of the camera that we recorded it on we would put I put it into a VHS VHS player and then take a blank tape and put it in over here and press play and record, set the alarm in my office for two hours, pop that tape out, put another one in, re-record the game, and then I'd have to FedEx that out by the next morning to other colleges. And then we, in exchange, obviously, we would get video of teams that we were going to play playing in the future. And I'm doing this, by the way, and we're making, I'm, I was making $24,000. It wasn't like, you know, not like coaching salaries now. I was making $24,000 as the third assistant coach uh, for the team. And, and so we did that over the course of the year. I really thought coaching was where I was going to stay. Uh, I miss coaching to a certain extent. I love, that's why I love coaching on the club scene now. 
Um, but what ended up happening was my, my dad, I mean, uh, my Jan Vibritikoff left. Family all lives here. My mom, my dad, everybody. Uh, I just gotten engaged. I had to make a decision. Do I go to St. Bonaventure with Jan Van Bredikoff, continue coaching, or do I stay in Los Angeles when my fiance still had uh, about a year and a half left of college at UCLA? And, and again, no FaceTime, no Facebook, no, you know, whatever you can connect people with, you know, um, and cell phones were just barely being used, really. I mean, it sounds crazy to say that, but it's like 2001, like technology still was just starting to really boom on the internet side of things and understanding how we can use it. And so I was like, me being an Ole in New York, her being in college at UCLA, what, that's probably not going to work. And so then I made the decision like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to downshift and go in a different direction. And that's when I actually started my professional broadcasting career. And I started working at Fox Sports West out in Los Angeles, uh, covering really everything for them. Uh, I did a little bit of everything for them and, and then eventually making the move over to ESPN in, in, in 2010. Yeah. So um, I know you just said, you mentioned that you were, um, you stayed out West. And with that, I think you did a lot of Mountain West games. And obviously with that came teams like San Diego State, if I'm correct. And that obviously featured like Kawhi Leonard. And I'm guessing you kind of, you know, we're exposed to a lot of great players when you're in this uh, commentary business. So can you talk about a little bit kind of what it's like to commentate and be around so many great athletes? Yeah, I, I think that's the fun part is, is seeing these guys in their journey. Um, and, you know, Kawhi is a guy that I actually covered when he was in um, high school. I saw him play in his, his CIF uh, Southern section championship game and at the time I was working for Fox Sports West again I mentioned I covered everything they, they had me cover the, the, that championship game uh, with Billy Mack who's actually now the voice of, of the Lakers and I remember spending time with Kawhi Leonard and I was just blown away I, I told Steve Fisher after the after the game I called him up I said man you stole one because he had like 22 rebounds and I want to say 17 points and they knocked off the Ware Twins who were McDonald's All-Americans who were going to go to North Carolina and modern day was this team that was nationally ranked and it just amazed me. So then you fast forward, and the first game I ever covered at ESPN was in 2010, and it was Gonzaga taking on San Diego State. And th that was San Diego State's coming out party as far as being a national power because mm -hmm. they were only the fifth team ever to win inside the kennel uh, up there in Spokane. And Kelly Olenek was a freshman as well for Gonzaga, and he looks way different than he looks now. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's, that's the fun part, you know, covering Kentucky as much as I have. Being there when the, for the team that was 38-1 and being around Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns and, and watching those guys develop and grow over the year, but now even watching them even more so grow and develop at the professional rank, it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's, that's what makes the game, to me, so much fun to cover is to see the, the evolution uh, and the work that these guys put in on their, on their game. Um, and I'll tell you one person that I was excited about this past year just to see because I wasn't able to cover any of the games was Sabrina Ionescu. And I thought she was just a, a generational player on the women's side. And it's more than just the stats of 2,000, 1,000, 1,000. It's just the mentality and her feel for the game and I, I went to her final game that was in, in Las Vegas and was on the off day of the WCC tournament this year. And I just wanted to see what, how she read the floor and her body language and 
and get a sense of really who she is. And I think the best opportunity to do that is always seeing him in person. You can watch him on TV, but you see him in person, it's different. And I was blown away with what I saw in Las Vegas. Uh, and, and it's a shame that obviously the season got shut down and that team didn't have a chance to go finish the, the unfinished business of winning the national championship on the women's side. Um, but throughout the years on the men's side, I've been really, really fortunate uh, because I've covered the ACC. I've done the ACC tournament. I've done the SEC tournament. Uh, the WCC with Gonzaga and how many pros that they've been able to put out. Matthew Delamadova when he was in college at St. Mary's. Like, it's not always just about the stars at the next level because a lot of times at the next level, the stars of college become role players. And that's normal. And that's why I try, you know, that's when people make the decision to leave college early. It's like, remember though, are you putting yourself in the best situation to be a role player at the next level? Because if you're leaving early, and you're not guaranteed a lottery pick, you're, you're a role player. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. And people think there's a negative connotation with that. There isn't. That doesn't mean that you're not even going to be a starter. But your role on that team isn't going to be a standout star. And are you willing to accept that at least early in your career in order to get there? And, and I've seen so many guys make right decisions and good decisions. And then there's been others that haven't, like Tyler Davis from Texas A&M thought it was a poor decision for him to leave early when he could have come back and played his senior year, graduated from A&M, had his jersey in the Raptors, and probably would have improved his opportunity to become a role player at the next level. Uh, instead, he, he tried to rush the process a little bit. But those, you know, those are few and far between. Yeah, and I think when people, um, you know, like the average fan, they don't really think about kind of the amount of talent and how many good teams there are out west, you know, in the Mountain West. But, like, when I'm just – it's off the top of my head, but, you know, I remember, like, in 2011, I think this is the year with Kawhi and that San Diego State team and how they – you know, I think they made the Sweet 16, played UConn yep. or something. But they were just so incredible. And I think that a lot of people need to realize that, you know, we look at the SEC, the Big Ten, but there's just so many good conferences. And Mountain West is one that many people kind of don't think about when it's a – you know, when they're thinking about conferences in the uh, NCAA, but it's one that many have to uh, – think about and understand well, so and go back to like the pit at new mexico and when that place is rocking it's one of the best environments in all of college basketball yeah. and they've had plenty of really good teams now i know lately it hasn't been quite the same um but when you when you go back to the, that era that you were discussing those were some big time games uh you know san Diego state versus new mexico or even the, the jimmer Fredette uh byu teams and how good they were and i really think if brandon davies uh, you know, doesn't doesn't have to leave BYU based on an honor code violation. Uh, that BYU team would have probably had an, a, a legitimate chance to try to win a national championship. I think they would have been right there right. Um, because they were that good. And the Mountain West has had some great teams. The WCC, really, with St. Mary's and Gonzaga, uh, really had some really strong teams over the years. Obviously, those two have battled, and Gonzaga's got the upper hand more often than not. Uh, but both those teams have gone on to the NCAA tournament and had success, uh, whether it's a Sweet 16 uh, for St. Mary's, uh, I want to say in like 2016, maybe, I think, um, and or Gonzaga consistently making the NCAA tournament, making national championship game runs. Um, I, I just think, I think the West Coast often gets forgot about. And a lot of times that happens because of the time in which the game starts, you know, but even the Pac-12 this past season, made a huge comeback. And, and it's a shame that they didn't get a chance to show in the NCAA tournament and see what could happen. Um, but I, I think the depth of the conference really showed out a lot more this past season 
than it has in recent years. And a lot of that is because the influx of talent. And you talk about talent on the West Coast. It's not just Southern California. A lot of people go, oh, man, Southern California is loaded. It is on a consistent basis. But you have hot spots like Las Vegas with Bishop Gorman and Centennial and Finley Prep uh, that have tremendous amount of talent in Las Vegas on a consistent basis. Uh, the Pacific Northwest, in particular Seattle, and that, the greater metropolitan area around Seattle has produced some tremendous basketball players as well. And then Northern California, uh, whether you go from the Bay Area all the way up through Sacramento, uh, really good talent on a year-in and year-out basis. And so that's why I think, you know, sometimes that talent, and this has been part of the key for the West Coast teams, is for a, a good stretch, they allowed too many guys to leave and go east. And so the best talent was going east instead of staying at home. And when you start keeping that talent at home, that's when the West Coast starts to elevate. That's when it starts to go up. And I, I think we saw that in particular this year in the 12. Um, and again, I thought BYU, St. Mary's, and Gonzaga were all NCAA tournament teams out of the WCC. So you're talking three teams uh, out of the WCC. Uh, San Diego State had as, as good as a chance as anyone. To, to win a national championship in a year where there wasn't that, that team that was so far out in front of everybody that you could, you could say, well, that's the team clearly everybody's got to go after. Uh, I, I, even though they lost uh, in the conference championship game, I really thought that they had a, had a great chance with their defense and as well as Malachi Flynn was playing all season long, uh, that Coach Dutcher's team could have had a chance to win a national championship. So the West Coast was definitely rebounding and moving in the right direction as we were finishing out this college basketball season. And I think that it's going to continue to trend in that way um, for, for the next couple of years, at least, uh, with the, the, the influx that is still arriving on a lot of these campuses. Yeah, right on. So one last thing I kind of want to talk about when we're discussing your kind of broadcasting career, and I think you just kind of posted something about this, but you actually announced the Indiana-Illinois game where Illinois won at, won at the last second. And, you know, just me being a college basketball fan, that's kind of one of my favorite games I've ever watched. So what was it like for you announcing that and seeing the environment in Illinois, you know, Indiana being the best team in basketball at the time? What was that game overall for you like? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Victor Oladipo, Zeller. I mean, that was a really good Indiana team. Uh, and, and they were playing Illinois, who had lost six out of seven headed into that game. I mean, John Gross's team was going nowhere and going nowhere fast. And they did not even have shoot-around that day. I mean, they were they, – because of class schedules, they weren't allowed to take the kids out to, to get shoot-around in. So they did, like, four guys came in at one time and three guys came in at another time. And they just kind of got shots up. And then they talked, like, schematically about how, how Indiana was going to play. And Indiana had a lead, but the lead was whittling away towards the end of the second half. And Joe Tessitore was my broadcast partner. Looked at me at the under four timeout. Goes, sense? And I said, I do. He goes, we could actually, this could be an upset. And it, you know, there were a lot of upsets as number one teams were falling that year, but none from a team that was like literally struggling as much as Illinois was. And the environment was fantastic. It was loud. And when that back cut came, they scored with 0.9 seconds left to go on the clock, and they executed that out of bounds underneath. And the horn sounds as the ball goes through, and the fans immediately rush the floor. Uh, just a very special environment to be part of. And that game, to me, is the most memorable game that I've ever called. Now, I've had some great games. Like, well, even this year, Gonzaga losing at BYU was a big, big game, um, especially for BYU and Mark Pope in his first season as coach there. There's been a lot of other big games 
that I've been part of, whether it was on the Super Tuesday broadcast, the SEC tournament, Colin Sexton hitting a buzzer beater over Robert Williams uh, to really punch Alabama's ticket into the NCAA tournament and, and advance forward in the SEC tournament. But that game in particular, to me, was just absolutely phenomenal and just enjoyed it so much because of how unique that environment was. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that was a great game, and I'm sure you've had so many. But moving on to, um, obviously, you're mainly a college basketball guy, but what are some other of your favorite moments of other sports that you've covered? Well, I think one of the most memorable ones was, was covering the Lakers the time that Kobe decided he wasn't going to shoot in the second half down in Phoenix in the playoffs, uh, and he took only three shots in the second half of that game. Uh, that was a memorable one for probably a lot of reasons because we were kind of like, oh, man, Kobe's making a statement right now that this team needs a lot of help and that they need to change some things. Um, but there was also so many moments of uh, Kobe hitting the shot over Phoenix in L.A. Uh, at the buzzer in the playoffs uh, when he pulled his jersey to the side afterwards and that iconic photo that still uh, is, is out in front of everybody. Uh, being there covering the Lakers during that run was, was pretty sensational. Uh, and, and to be part of that was pretty unique. Uh, there was a time when I was working for Fox Sports West and Washington was playing UCLA inside the Rose Bowl. And the broadcaster's voice went out in the booth and they pulled me from the field where I was the pre and post host. And I ended up doing play-by-play -play in the Rose Bowl for college football. That was something that wasn't expected, uh, but yet something that was really cool to experience. Uh, being there and covering uh, Manny Ramirez's first home run as a Dodger on night two of his career. Um, that was and doing the postgame interview and getting the toss from Vin Scully. That was pretty, pretty memorable as well. So there, I've, I've been very fortunate in this business to have a lot of experiences, even outside of basketball, uh, that have allowed me uh, some, to have some great memories uh, and memories and moments that, that I love to share with my kids um, and, and certainly will uh, hold dear to my heart uh, for the rest of my life. Is there anything you'd want to do more of a certain sport? Would you rather do more MLB or you, you really love college basketball and you mainly want to stick with that? No, I love basketball. I just love being around the game, whether it's uh, college or the pros uh, and in the opportunities at ESPN uh, over the last couple of years, in particular with shows like get up uh, to expand out and do some more NBA stuff has been really a lot of fun for me. Uh, I've enjoyed it a great deal and, and love the platform that I have. Yeah, talk about a little bit of Get Up and First Take. I know you've um, appeared on those shows. Can you just talk about the experience and how all that went? Yeah, I mean, like uh, Get Up, you know, the show had started uh, the previous year, and then they started kind of shifting and changing and evolving how the show was looking. Uh, Mike Greenberg is such a talented guy to get the opportunity to work with and does an excellent job of setting up. I think as, as a host, one of the best things he does is listen. You know, he really does listen to what uh, his analysts and the people around him are saying. Um, and I think that's why that show has really started to take off and have success. And obviously, anytime you, you share a set with Stephen A. Smith and Max, and it's, it's pretty special. I mean, in the basketball world, you look at Stephen A. Smith, and he's a guy that's been there and done that uh, at every single level. And his passion and love for the sport uh, just leads through the screen on a consistent basis. Uh, and to be part of those shows and to have some of the discussions that we've been able to have uh, has been really fun. And... Uh, I, I just think that when you look at ESPN, the uniqueness of what they've done and, and the worldwide leader mentality is that of the fact that there's so many 
immensely talented people. Like I, I sit down on the set and all of a sudden it's Mike Greenberg, Jalen Rose, Jay Will, and myself. And you're like, man, I'm, I'm sitting here talking basketball with all these guys. Like this is, this is pretty good. And then all of a sudden Stephen A. Smith walks in and he sits down and joins the set too. And you're like, man, this is, this is awesome. Like yeah. as a, it just as a fan, as a person that loves the game, you, it, it helps you because to me, life is about passion. Basketball has always been a passion of mine, and it's something that I'm going to continue to, to utilize as a passion of mine. And I just think, you know, when you work with those guys, it brings out your passion and heightens it that much more, and it brings out the best in you. And those shows in particular and so many of the great sports center anchors that we get to work with uh, back up in Bristol, uh, just it's, it's, it's phenomenal to be part of it. Yeah, I mean, those those guys are some of my favorite to listen to all the time, so it's awesome that you get to be around them. Um, unfortunately, Zoom is kicking us off in five minutes, but I do have a last question here about the NBA, so if you want to keep it a little bit short. Um, sure. Obviously, the I mean, coronavirus has affected everything, the NBA season, shutting it down, but it looks like it could be returning soon, maybe in like Disney World or something in one location. Um, do you think it's going to resume anytime soon, and who do you have winning it all if it does? Uh, I think that it is. Uh, I think we are going to have an NBA Finals. Uh, I, I think the Clippers are still my team. I, I picked them before the start of the season. I'm not going to run away from them now. Uh, but I do think that the break kind of does help other teams. The Lakers are going to benefit from this. I think Portland's going to benefit from it. I think people forget about the fact that Portland's going to be healthier, healthier and deeper uh, than they were before the break. Uh, and in the East, I mean, does it help Philadelphia? Is Embiid going to be healthy? Uh, what kind of shape is he going to be in? If he's if he's in elite level shape, then that could even help Philadelphia. I'll be interested to see because the Raptors were playing well before the the the, the coronavirus broke out, um, as well as the Celtics and obviously the Bucks. Uh, but I, I think it's a Western Conference team that's going to win it. I go with the Clippers or the Lakers, uh, and I, and I don't think anybody else can really catch them in the West right now. I'd be shocked if anybody else upset it. Uh, one of those two teams. Yeah, I totally agree. I was definitely a Clipper guy from day one, and I'm not going to run away just like you aren't. Um, I think it's going to help them. Obviously, Kawhi takes load management all the time. I think that the break is going to help the Lakers the most, but I still don't think it's going to be enough for them. I'm taking the Clippers. But um, that's all for today's episode. If you enjoyed, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, and make sure you're following us on Instagram at All Sports Culture. Also, follow Sean, our guest, on Twitter at Sean Farenham. And, of course, his son's YouTube channel, JTF Edits, for some Call of Duty content. I know you just tweeted about that, so we're going to shout go. him out as well. Let's go. shout out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got you, of course. Um, thanks for coming today, Sean. We had a great conversation about all those stories about Shaq, UCLA, um, you covering all the college basketball games. It was a really good conversation we had, and best of luck in all of your future endeavors. Thanks, guys. Same to you guys. Yep. Thank you, all Sean. Right. Awesome.